This morning's passage comes from Genesis 27, verses 41 through 46. Genesis 27, verses 41 through 46. It's page 26 in the Pew Bibles if you'd like to use those. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, These days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob her younger son and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should, you, why should I bereaved also of you, both of you, in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Our young people, the 6th through 12th graders, about 70 of them, and then several 20-somethings in college age that are helping with the retreat, and then several adults. About 100 folks are away this morning at Camp Meribah, and they've been studying about guarding the heart and have had a wonderful, wonderful weekend, and we're thankful uh, for the opportunity that they've had to do that, and we pray for their safe return. And just an FYI, they should be returning around 2 and more likely 2.30 if you need to come by and pick up uh, one of your youth at that time. We do want to continue to remember the true family in our prayers and in any ways of support and comfort and encouragement that we can over the next few days and weeks and months. God blesses us with a family a family to help each other, to serve each other, to nurture each other, to build each other up, to rejoice with each other, to weep with each other. And let's make sure that we are faithful to this family. Speaking of family, when you think about twins, what immediately comes to your mind? Most individuals, when they think about twins, they think about closeness. Two siblings that were born Uh, From uh, the same birth date, they grow up and make transitions in life at the same time and oftentimes call themselves the the closest of friends. Oftentimes, these siblings are closer than even other siblings that they may have in the very same family. That's quite a striking difference from what we've just had so capably read in our text where one twin, Esau, comforted himself in the fact that he was going to kill his brother. Now, friends, as we look at this this morning, I ask you not to just hear this as a Bible story. I ask for you to hear this as it relates to family. What would you think about a family where one brother 
wants to kill his twin and takes comfort in the fact that his brother's going to die. Put that thought on hold for just a moment. How many of you have ever left the study through a sermon or through a Bible class in God's Word about the family and you've left feeling like a thundercloud is just pouring rain upon your life. You feel drenched in pity and despair because maybe you've conjured up in your mind and maybe the teacher or preacher has helped you conjure it up in your mind. The idea that you can never be all that God wants you to be because you come from a dysfunctional family. I apologize if I've ever done that to you in our study together. And I hope this morning, not that we can sort through all of this and make perfect sense of it, but I hope this morning you and I can see something very important. Now, it's not to discredit God's perfect plan of the family, but I hope you and I this morning can learn to appreciate how God has always been able to work in the lives of individuals, even if they come from dysfunctional families. What God wants to know is will you be holy? Will you allow your life to be set apart for His service? Even if the family that you have come from is filled with hatred, with strife, with partiality, even the desire of murder, still God can do tremendous things. What comes to your mind when you hear these words, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Don't you think about the patriarchs and don't you think about characters of faith and don't you think about individuals that through their lineage Jesus Christ came? But friends, how many of us stop and we think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and we think about the struggles that they had in their family? When recently we read through the book of Genesis, did you notice that you can't really find a healthy, functional family in the book of Genesis? Does that stand out to you as as something powerful. Does that stand out to you to reveal the fact that if you can say this morning, we have some huge struggles in our family, there's hope. There's hope for you. There's hope for your family. Because God has always been able to do great things in the lives of individuals who want to make sure that their life is right with God and that they are in God's family, even if the family around them isn't what it should be. This morning, I would like for us to scan several chapters just to see this story. Twice we will pause to see the difference God made as He approached Jacob, as if to say, Jacob, despite everything you've gone through with your family and some of those hardships He brought on His own self, but despite all of those things, it is as if God is saying, Jacob, I'm not giving up on you. I'm not going to let you go this easy. I'm going to do whatever I can do to make sure that you're a holy man, that you continue to be the patriarch that I've designed for you to be. Drop back in your Bibles, if you will, to the 25th chapter. And as we drop back there, I believe it's on page uh, 23 or 24 in your pew Bible. Uh, if you have your own Bible, and it's the very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis. And let's study together as we scan some things to see this family. What does Jacob's family look like? We see the twins were conceived and they were in Rebekah's womb. We see the 25th chapter in verse 20, Rebekah the wife. And we see that the children in 22 struggled within her. And this 
bothered her so much that she went 23 to the Lord. And this was the Lord's answer. Two nations are in your womb. Two people should be separated from your body. One people shall be the stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. Now that would have been very different from their culture and their custom in their day and time where the oldest would have continued, if you will, as, as the birthright, the birth order would give him the birthright, would give them privilege of the greater inheritance, would allow him to be the ruler, someday be the patriarch of the family. And so now while the children are still in the womb, God, of course, knowing the future, is able to say, it's the younger that's going to have the character that submits to me that's going to be able to carry on this lineage. And so I'm just telling you right now, it's going to be the younger that's going to actually be the stronger. Now, after these two are born, we see a bit of the strife that even takes place as we see Jacob seemingly to take advantage of a desperate situation of his brother. We can also say that his brother was foolish at this time. I think both of them could be given some blame. As we begin looking at the 29th chapter, Jacob was cooking stew. Esau comes in in verse 30 and says, please feed me with that same red stew. And 31, Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. Again, you and I have to appreciate the value of that custom in order to realize what Esau is willing to give up at this moment and what Jacob is asking for simply a bowl of soup. And then in 33, he agrees to do that in 32 because he's going to die without it. He says in 33, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. This lets us know the type of relationship that is growing and is being built. If you want to drop back before we leave this chapter, it's important for us to understand verse 28. Uh, Again, as I mentioned to you a few moments ago, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, don't you have some real positive and wonderful thoughts of faith when you hear the word Isaac? But you know, when you read verse 28 of the 25th chapter, it kind of disappoints us that he would have this kind of relationship with his family. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Friends, there's a couple of things that presents a challenge to the unity of the family the way God designed it. Did God design for partiality to be a part of relationships between parent and children? We know the answer is no because God condemns all partiality in James the second chapter in verse 1. We read further in the chapter and he identifies it as sin and says that it is not of God and urges us to have an impartiality. Now if we're to do that even with our, our strangers that visit with us in our assembly as James 2 teaches, how much so should it be true in our own families? Can you imagine Isaac, the great patriarch, being shallow enough to say, oh, this is my favorite right here. This is my favorite. Because he goes out and he kills game and he cooks it just like I love it. I'm partial to him. What kind of father would do that? Have you ever seen a perfect family? Friends, before I start expecting perfection out of my family, maybe I need to wake up to the reality that we don't read of a perfect family in the Scriptures. And before I start taking the excuses of the imperfections of my family and allow them to separate me and my relationship with God, I better look long and hard at this fact. All of the imperfect families that we read of in the Scriptures, God continually pled with the individuals, serve me.
Jacob, you're not going to pass gold free just because you had a father that liked your brother more than you and he let it be known. You're not going to pass gold free just because you had a brother that wanted to kill you. You see, at least twice we're going to see God intervene as if to say, Jacob, I want to know where are you? Are you going to serve me or not? I'm giving you the opportunity. I'm sure that we could go all the way around this room and if every individual bore the secrets of their heart and the secrets of their family, every one of us could talk about pains that have been experienced in our families. God has always been able to use people that have come from families that have experienced pain. Go with me, if you will, to the 27th chapter, and we see this escalate between the partiality, between the fact that Jacob was the one who his mother, Rebekah, wanted him to have the birthright. And we see in the first few verses of the 27th chapter that Esau is sent out to kill the game, to come back so that he could feed Isaac, his father, and he's going to give his favorite son, the firstborn, of course, the order uh, of the birthright there would seem that he would also receive the blessing. Now, we need to pause here for a moment and, and just wonder, just speculate, just to understand the scriptures, not to add to the scriptures. It makes you wonder, did Rebecca fully understand when God came and told her the younger is going to rule over the older and the, the older is going to be uh, submissive or weaker to the uh, younger. Do you think she understood that? It seems that she did. The way especially she's working here, it's as if she's determined to make that come true. Now it also makes you wonder this. Did she ever share that with her husband? Now if he understood that, is he intentionally working against God's plan here? In his mind, perhaps even in the back of his mind, is he sending Esau out? Here he's knowing that he himself is aging, his eyesight is failing, he doesn't know when he's going to die, but he wants to make sure that he passes on the blessing before he dies, and he wants to make sure that he gets the blessing to the son that he wants. He wants Esau. Whether it's known or unknown, the fact is he's working against God's plan at this time. God's plan is for the younger to receive it. So we see a combination of him either knowing or unknowingly working against God's plan and with partiality being very much involved in these relationships. We see him sent out, but we see the partiality as Rebecca immediately turns to her favored son, Jacob. And notice as she tells him in 6 and 7 to go out and and kill a couple of the goat, the kid goats, and she's going to prepare them. And notice what she says in 8. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. And so she tells him about the goats in 9. And then notice in 12. This is his response. Perhaps my father will fill me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him. And I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. Now, why is his concern here of being a deceiver? Is he honest enough in his relationship with his father that he simply doesn't want to be a man that lacks integrity? Oh, no, no, not at all. 
His fear is, if my father feels and realizes my, my brother is a very hairy man, and I'm a very smooth-skinned man, if while I'm serving this meat, my father reaches out and touches my arm, he's immediately going to know then I have deceived him. I'm going to lose the blessing. Instead, I'll receive the curse. You see, it has nothing to do with him wanting to deal honestly with his family. It has nothing to do with integrity in the family. Now note this about Rebecca. She's not willing to allow God to handle the concerns that should be left up to God. Friends, we don't have time to develop this point, but I want you to strongly think about this and take it with you and meditate. If at any time you think that you have to connive and scheme and do anything wrong to get the right thing done, you have stepped over and you've started doubting God. It is never right for us to do wrong, no matter what we think the end may be. God can take care of God's matters. If God wanted Jacob to be the one to receive the blessing... No one had to sin in order for Jacob to receive that blessing. But that's what happens when we doubt God. That's also what happens when we live in a family that has a lot of issues going on. It seems that the more issues that go on in the life of a family, the harder it is to keep the focus on God. And this is the simple plea of the lesson this morning. It's not impossible. There may be things going on in your family that's out of your hands. You can't change them. You can't make a father that hates you love you. You can't make a brother or sister that despises you to start loving you. You can't make a rebellious child start doing right. And my plea to you from the scriptures this morning is to realize that there have been families with struggles ever since the beginning. And God's plea over and over is, keep your eyes on me. I'm not going to let the family struggles be an excuse for you failing to keep your eyes on me. Now notice as we continue scanning this, he does follow through with this deception. And I just want to note to you in 19, notice the direct lie. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. It could not be any more of a lie. And, and then notice as we read 20 and part of 21, but Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And, and he says, the Lord brought it to me. So he's crediting God with his lie here. And 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near me that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. Again, not trying to read too much into the scriptures, but just wondering. And, and you just think about it. Does that point in your mind in verse 21 to the fact that there have probably been other deception going on in this home? Friends, if they had dealt honestly between husband and wife in their relationship all of those years, and if the sons had grown up dealing honestly with each other all those years, I would suggest to you that that question would have never been asked. I suggest to you that this is probably not anywhere close to the first deception that's been going on in that family. We're looking at a family that if we want to look at the lies and the deception was probably filled, filled, with dysfunction, a family that's filled with partiality. And what happens is he does trick his father. Verse 27, 28, and 29, he receives the blessing. 
Notice especially 29, where a part of this blessing is let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. Immediately after he receives his blessing and leaves the room, then Isaac comes in, uh, Esau comes back, Isaac figures out, notice verse 33, Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? And then notice the response in 34. Esau heard the words of his father. He cried with exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, Bless me, me also, oh my father. And then that's what brings us to the text this morning. We will not reread the entire text, but I want to remind you as you go back now and look at verse 41. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father blessed him. And then notice again at the end of 42, surely your brother, this is what the mother says as she wants to send him on to to Laban. Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now, if you want to know even more, Deception, it just seems to be a way of life, if you will, as she deals with her husband. She's fearful, of course, that Esau is going to carry out the fact and kill his twin brother. Wouldn't you expect in in a relationship that's a strong, healthy marriage that she would just go and sit down with her husband and say, Honey, we have a son that's going to kill the other son. We need to get we need to get the son out of town. Wouldn't that make sense? Oh no, listen to the deception that's going on in this relationship. Go back and look at 46 again. And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Perhaps there was a measure of truth in what she said. But friends, you and I reading this entire chapter knows that is not why she is going to her husband at this particular time. She's going to her husband at this particular time. Again, which begs the question, was she fearful that the partiality was so great that if she went and spoke of her favored son against his favored son, that his response might be, let him kill him. He deserves it. Someone says, David, I think you're reading too much in that. Maybe that is too strong. But friends, there's something here in this relationship where even Rebecca, at the point that she fears that her son is going to die, can't even be honest to go to her husband and say, let's protect the son. Yes, I am trying to emphasize to you how dysfunctional this family was. I've sat with many of you individually, and I'm not trying to target anybody in this message. I've received many of emails through our website from individuals I don't even know. And I want to tell you what many of us deal with in this life. We deal with childhood memories of fathers that abused us, our mothers that hated us, our sibling rivalry that has never, never found peace, and Satan is the master at taking those relationships that have hurt and cut our hearts so deeply and separating us from our God. And what I'm hoping that we see this morning 
is that in the midst of all the pain that may have happened in our life, God still wants you to be holy. God longs to have a relationship with you. I think sometimes we preach about God's pattern of the family, which is perfect, and we all should strive for it as it pertains to us. We can't live everybody else's life in our family, but we ought to strive for it. But I think sometimes then when our families are so far from it that we conjure up in our mind that God looks down and the only blessings from God come in homes where the entire family is holy. That's just not the case. So let's look at this that happens at Bethel. We're going to look at verses 10 through 22 at the end of the 28th chapter, and we're going to extend the invitation. Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. I need to picture this. That's a 500-mile journey being made on foot. That'd be like saying, I have so much problem in my family right now that in order to escape death from my brother, I'm going to start walking to Chicago. And I don't know when I'll ever be able to return again. Now keep in mind, I've just been granted the great inheritance. I've been deemed as the one that's going to have the great blessing. But I'm having to leave. And as the generation before me, when they went there to hunt for a wife, which was his mother, they carried a caravan of camels loaded with possessions. And here this young man is traveling seemingly alone. With nothing. How do you think he feels? How frustrated do you think he is? How hurt? He's the one having to leave home and the evil brother gets to stay. How lonely. How discouraged. And God intervenes at this time to show him a dream on his way. He came to a certain place in 11. He stayed all night. This is probably about the third day of the journey, probably about 60 miles into the journey. Because the sun had said he took one of the stones of the place and he put his head, he lay down in the place to sleep. Then he dreamed. Now this is God coming to him in this dream. And behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give it to you and to your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seeds, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Friends, in this, it is awesome how God shows us a ladder that goes from heaven to earth. And in John, the first chapter, when Nathaniel is being introduced to Jesus and he couldn't believe that when Philip was being called, that he knew, Jesus knew that Nathaniel was sitting under the fig tree. And he was amazed. He said, you truly must be the son of God. And he said, I can show you greater things than that. You're going to see the son of man and those ascending and descending upon the son of man. 
And most scholars agree that that is a reference that goes all the way back to this story in Jacob of the dream where Jacob, at a time in his life when he probably felt very separated from God and he felt very much alone and he felt very frustrated and God says, I want to show you how I'm involved in your life right now. I want to show you how heaven and earth are really not that far apart. I want to show you that I still am going to honor that covenant that I made with your grandfather Abraham and with your father Isaac, and I'm going to keep it with you. And he spoke in those verses we just read of that threefold covenant. I'm going to give you a land, and your descendants are going to be numbered greater than, than the dust of the earth. And finally, we see the blessing that he's going to be able to go back to that land, and that through his lineage, the Messiah will be born to bless all nations. What is he going to do with this? Notice this as we we have to make some time here. Notice 16 through 22. Jacob awoke from sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. And he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place. Now keep in mind what he said in 16. I didn't know God was here. But now he's he's so thankful that God is here. None of the other, the house of God. This is the great, uh, the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put on his head, set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on the top of it as if to consecrate it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, which means the place of God, or God is here. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying. Now some people are very uncomfortable with Jacob making this if-then statement. I don't think he's bargaining with God here. I don't think he's cheap-talking God here. And, And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Notice this beautiful statement. If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. If he's making this if-then statement because he knows God is faithful. It's saying, if then, I know God's going to do his part, so now that requires me to do my part. God's going to do his part. He's going to use me. He's going to allow me to be a part of this covenant. I see God's blessing now in my life. Then, the Lord will be my God. And friends, that's what it boils down to this morning. God's going to keep his covenant. He sent Jesus to die for you and I while we were yet sinners. He promises that He's coming back again. And it doesn't matter what pain I have had or I am having in present relationships on this earth. If God keeps His, the question is, then will I allow God to be my Lord? I hope we will. Because in doing that, we then become everything that we ought to be to relationships on this earth, even when they're strained. When God is my Lord, I'm going to love others as I love myself, the second greatest command. When God is my Lord, I'm going to realize that I am made by Jesus, His workmanship to do good works, and a part of the good works that I'm going to do will probably be for the very family members that have hurt me. 
with God as my Lord, He's going to give me a family that's awesome and it's adopted into His family and I'll have brothers and sisters that do love me as I should be loved. What a blessing the church is, especially if we come from physically dysfunctional families. If God is my God, I'm going to forgive others. Yes, even if they've hurt me. I'm going to forgive because of who my God is. Friends, this morning, Satan may have already hurt us enough physically with our families, but I'm begging us this morning to hear the cry of God all through the Scriptures to not let Him hurt us spiritually. Now that's a huge point, and we're not going to elaborate. We've been elaborating on it. But please think about that. Satan may have hurt you physically with your family, but it's your choice if he hurts you spiritually. Set up your stone. Symbolically anoint it with oil. Literally make your vow to God right now. Lifting your eyes above the pain that you've had on this earth and say to your God, Lord, you shall be my God. And if you've not done that this morning and you want to be baptized into Christ or if you have and you've strayed from God, I beg you this morning to realize there's no relationship on earth. There's no pain that justifies us abandoning our God. He can bless us. If we can help in any way, come as we stand.